what was fascinating and really started the whole levels project is my blood sugar was in the pre-diabetic zone about 35% of every day. And my average glucose was over 110. And uh, I was shocked by this. I was waking up at 115, 120 milligrams per deciliter in the morning. And uh, this was something that um, would, you know, once I got up and started walking around, it would actually dip down. And that kind of explained how I, it, I guess my fasting glucose checks had been fine. But long story short, it was a real, you know, again, a light bulb moment. This is, this data is important. Um, I had no idea this was going on. My doctor had no idea this was going on. I, I had an access issue. I wasn't able to get my hands on the device. And, uh, and then I used the device to sort of uh, get a hold of which specific nutritional elements were causing the issue. And so anyway, uh, uh, about two years later in a lot of research, we've got an amazing team and we're putting that data into the hands of people who can, uh, who maybe don't need it for a medical rationale quite yet, but luckily uh, they may never have to because of it. On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. All right, welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm super excited to welcome back an old friend, Dr. Casey Means, and also we have Josh Clementi from Levels. And this is a really kind of a cool tool and uh, we're going to learn all about it and how it may help you discover you know the best dietary pattern for you and what if you are eating healthy maybe some foods you should avoid still so hi casey and josh how are you guys doing great Lori. thank well. you so much for having me back on and for having us here today to talk a little bit about levels and yeah echo that thank you josh and you know josh this was kind of your concept and your baby as all entrepreneurs and has a thought and a desire. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and what this is exactly? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my background is, is not in uh, nutrition or uh, the medical world. I'm actually an aerospace engineer, um, mechanical in nature. So I, uh, I initially worked at SpaceX for about six years on life support systems. And I was in charge of the pressurized life support systems development for future spacecraft. And so this is, uh, you know, I was exposed to a lot of uh, conversations about physiology, physiology under duress. So in these emergency scenarios, uh, how to, you know, keep people performing optimally. And that eventually led to some really interesting research by Dominic Diagostino, um, who basically exposed that there are these amazing protective effects of a ketogenic state uh, to central nervous system toxicity. Uh, in a high oxygen environment, which is one of the scenarios that I was uh, actively dealing with. And so this was my very first exposure to the potential power of diet in, uh, in the health conversation. So I, I'm a CrossFit trainer as well, and have always sort of considered that sort of, you know, you can tell someone's health based on aesthetics, or, you know, as long as you can perform quickly in a 40 yard dash and lift heavy weights, you're probably healthy. And so I, I never really, frankly, paid much attention to diet myself. And coming across this research was a real uh, kind of a tire screeching moment because I, it seemed like a superpower that this diet was, you know, endowing on, on these people and, and uh, certainly in the test subjects. And so um, that's where it all started for me. It got the wheels turning and I started thinking, you know, this is fascinating. I have actually no data that's driving my own decisions each day. And so I, I live in a world of data. I work in a world of data, uh, finance and, you know, retirement projections and all this stuff that we have data on. 
but I have no rationale that's driving my daily decisions. When I sit down for lunch or sit down for dinner, why am I eating what I'm eating? I mean, frankly, I, like, I had no rationale. It was really frustrating for me. And so I, uh, you know, that kicked off a period of experimentation for me where I chose to both, uh, you know, experiment with very different dietary philosophies. I didn't have any particular one myself at the time. I was going to start and kind of like work my way through, but I also wanted to get quantitative data myself. And uh, that led me to research, you know, all of the potential metrics I could measure. I found glucose, um, which is uh, you know, obviously available for measurement in, in the world of diabetes therapy. And I thought, you know what, that's, that's a fascinating molecule to be able to measure, especially in real time, because it is the, it's like the primary energy molecule. So um, if I can measure that, that's going to be at least something that I can uh, sort of work with. Um, so I, I tried to get a device from, from my physician at the time. He kind of turned me down and said, you're not sick. You don't need this. Um, you know, you should, you should calm down. This isn't something that you need to worry about because I have your, your, your uh, HbA1c here and you're fine. And, you know, I was like, well, in systems engineering, you don't take a single point measurement and, and extrapolate that to the whole mechanism, right? You, you know, you kind of like have to get as much data as high resolution in real time as possible. So that, I didn't take that for an answer. I kept trying to fight and find CGM. Eventually I got one. And what was fascinating and really started the whole levels project is my blood sugar was in the pre-diabetic zone about 35% of every day. And my average glucose was over 110. And uh, I was shocked by this. I was waking up at 115, 120 milligrams per deciliter in the morning. And uh, this is something that um, would, you know, once I got up and started walking around, it would actually dip down. And that kind of explained how I, it, I guess my fasting glucose checks had been fine. But long story short, it was a real, you know, again, a light bulb moment. This is, this data is important. Um, I had no idea this was going on. My doctor had no idea this was going on. I, I had an access issue. I wasn't able to get my hands on the device. And, uh, and then I used the device to sort of uh, get a hold of which specific nutritional elements were causing the issue. And so anyway, uh, uh, about two years later in a lot of research, we've got an amazing team and we're putting that data into the hands of people who can, uh, who maybe don't need it for a medical rationale quite yet, but luckily uh, they may never have to because of it. Wow, that's real, that is fascinating. So how, do you mind if I ask how old you were when you made this revelation and started using it? I was 28. So I think that's another important element that people don't understand. When you go diabetes and older, probably mm -hmm. like, nah, you're literally in your 20s. Like my oldest child is two years younger than you. So I'm looking at <laughs> going, you know, what type of dietary changes are really important for the, this younger generation. So Casey, tell us how you got involved and what does all this mean to someone who doesn't have diabetes? Absolutely. Yeah. So I came at this from a slightly, you know, different perspective than Josh. You know, I was working in healthcare, and as we talked about a lot on the last time I was on the podcast with you, you know, I was, I was trained as a surgeon. I did head and neck surgery for four years, and during my time working with, you know, thousands of patients, it's just so clear that metabolic dysfunction, diabetes, prediabetes, and associated conditions, obesity, heart disease, et cetera, they are they are rampant, and they have a huge impact on surgical outcomes, and so. You know, no matter how great your surgery is, um, you know, how great your sinus surgery is or your ear surgery or what the different things that I was doing, you know, if a person is not um, on the path towards becoming metabolically healthy, they're, they're going to continue to get sick. They're going to continue to have morbidity and increased mortality associated with their metabolic dysfunction. And it's kind of the elephant in the room of American medicine right now. I mean, 
we, the numbers are just absolutely staggering to me. And I mean, I don't need to tell them to you, obviously, but, but just for the people listening in case mm-hmm. like people aren't aware, like, I think it's worth like reviewing, like 30, around 30 million Americans have type two diabetes about 88 million more have prediabetes and of people who have prediabetes of which most will go on to develop type 2 diabetes 90% of them do not know it they do not know that they have prediabetes and this sort of speaks to what Josh was talking about and you know so that's just straight up like metabolic glycemic glucose control dysfunction but associated conditions like um obesity, which is also on the metabolic disease spectrum, you know, 74% of Americans have, are overweight or obese at this point. That's, it's, it's astronomical. And the thing that is similar about these conditions is that they, the majority of these cases are preventable with dietary and lifestyle choices. And so it's very interesting. So, you know, then post-surgery, as I transitioned into a much more, you know, being compelled by a lot of this, these thoughts, um, about how important it was to kind of shift our efforts in medicine toward the more prevention and personalized approach to health. Um, I shifted into functional medicine um, and sort of a more lifestyle and prevention focused practice. And, you know, in that practice, a lot of what we're looking at is sort of what are the underlying drivers of disease and symptoms? What is the biologic dysfunction happening in the cells that for a particular patient is leading to a particular symptom? So, um, you know, Depression isn't all caused by the same thing. Depression could be from hypothyroidism. It could be from vitamin D deficiency. It could be from, you know, other factors. So if you don't actually zero in on what exactly is the root cause of something for a patient, then just throwing a drug at it is unlikely to be super effective. So that's sort of the root of functional medicine is really zoning in on the precise mechanisms of what's causing disease and then attacking at that level. And a lot of attacking at that level means modifying the behaviors, the dietary choices, the lifestyle choices that lead to biologic dysfunction. So what's tied up in all of that is behavior change because ultimately to change lifestyles and diets, it ha- there has to be a behavior change element to it. Um, and that the same is very true with, with making an impact on this metabolic crisis and obesity crisis in the, in the US. And so got me thinking a lot about like what is involved in successful uh, behavior change. And I think something that's kind of tried and true is, is biofeedback and having access to like real-time data and seeing actual data about yourself is very effective in helping solidify the reward pathways that help you make good decisions and um, help stay accountable to various uh, things. And so, um, so the continuous glucose monitor is just this incredible device because it's currently FDA approved for type one and type two diabetics to be used essentially just for people who aren't aware. It's a device that's um, worn on the arm and it's a very small, low profile. And it basically has a tiny little filament that goes under the skin that samples glucose from the fluid around cells, the interstitial fluid every 15 minutes automatically. And then it will sync to your phone and basically just tell you, give you a curve throughout the entire day of what's happening to your glucose. And so when you eat something, it might go up a certain amount and you can see and get that biofeedback of how particular um, foods, particular lifestyle habits are impacting your glucose. And so it's really a cool tool for diabetics, um, type one and type two, because it gives them a lot more insight. They don't have to prick their fingers as often, which is painful. This is completely painless. It's much more data, helps build intuition about what to eat and how to live, and also helps them manage their medications. Um, But then the question is, you know, these are preventable diseases. And these things don't happen as an on-off switch. They happen as a spectrum over years from normalcy 
to full-blown metabolic dysfunction. So it's not like one day you wake up and all of a sudden you have diabetes. This is something that's been going on and developing for probably years and years and years. So then if that's the case, it really became pretty urgent to me. Like, why wouldn't we use this type of technology that's cheap and easily accessible to be used as a biofeedback tool before people get the disease to help them ward off these things? It kind of seemed like a no-brainer to me. Um, and yet it's still not it's certainly not commonly done yet, but we're seeing a lot of interest in people wanting access to these tools to get some actual objective data about how what they're eating is impacting their risk of future disease and how to just like stay in a range that's going to keep them safer in terms of their glucose. So that's kind of a kind of broad overview. And it just um, working with, uh, you know, my practice very much focuses on this type of stuff with patients individually. But I think that given what's happening in the entrepreneurial and digital health space, I think this is a perfect opportunity to merge the clinical practice with, with the digital health, um, because especially with a metric like glucose, which is a fascinating metric, because we know that so many things go into a glucose level. Uh, how much you sleep, how well you sleep, your stress level, what you eat, when you eat, um, and your exercise, all those things to feed, it, feed into what your glucose level is going to be. So it's a multivariate input with a single readout, and all those inputs are the lifestyle and dietary things that we're always working with patients on. So it really lends well to a digital health type of thing because it's difficult to parse out the data from all those inputs, but machine learning and, and um, algorithms can really help kind of parse out the drivers of glycemic dysfunction in a way that honestly it's challenging to do in a 30 minute visit with a patient. So mm -hmm. I can't be with a patient in their kitchen every day, be on their shoulder saying, do this, do that. But having it on your phone and something that's kind of doing that insight generation, intuition building with you, we have already seen to be super powerful in our users. Um, and that is why I wanted to shift some of my effort from just clinical practice to supporting a digital health company working on this because I think the impact could be truly monumental um, for literally potentially every American, but I mean, definitely the almost 100 million people who are, we know have metabolic dysfunction and probably the many more who are kind of on the early part of that spectrum and, and, and don't know and are craving help and want nutrition information, are seeking this out, but it's just a very difficult landscape to navigate. So. That's the long story, but <laughs> no, no, you people love the last interview we did because you do such a fabulous job of explanation and bringing things home. So I think there's a couple of things there that I really like. I like that you're talking about the habit um, change mm -hmm. and behavior modification. So literally what you're doing is mindfulness, right? So you're just bringing awareness of what's actually going on inside to the forefront. So it's just like someone who is smoking and they're becoming aware and mindful of the smoking habits. And now they're like, oh, I'm eating this and look what's happening. So you can actually have this instantaneous exactly. feedback, which is fabulous. So, and that really is, you're, you're lessening the reward component of the habit loop, which actually is how you dismantle the habit. So I think that's fantastic. So now we have these people who are non-diabetic. Like you said, this is one in three Americans. I don't think people understand 100 million people. That's one in every three of you. Yeah. You look around. Yeah or pre-diabetic or diabetic, and that's just one element. So can we talk a little bit about what your experience is with people who are non-diabetic, what they're saying, what they're doing, people who use this, who are just wanting the information, like what is the revelation? What's the behavior change? Like what is the results that you're getting by someone who actually participates in your program? 
Yeah, um, it's so I, I love the, the word you just used awareness. Uh, we actually have two two sort of uh, they're not slogans, but they're terms that people can understand. The first one is metabolic awareness. So this is the process of closing the loop between an action you take and your body's reaction. And, and a closed loop is where you actually have feedback, right? And what we're operating on in society is an open loop. That's the worst type of system is you don't get any feedback to educate you or to, to make informed decisions going forward. And so once you close that loop, that's, that's awareness. Now, uh, it's not optimization. You're no better than you were a minute ago, but you at least know. And so now you can make better choices. The next stage is where, where we want to point people, and uh, that's what we call metabolic fitness. And so the reason we choose the, that terminology is because oftentimes we get questions from, from our, um, our users and even people who are interested in what we're doing. And they say, well, you know, how, will you be able to, how quickly will you be able to tell if I'm healthy? Or um, I don't think I'm healthy. My parents weren't healthy. It's sort of like this, this the conversation is um, as though the, it's a characteristic that is frozen in time. You know, I'm either metabolically healthy or I'm not. I'm either going to get diabetes or I won't. And so what we, what we want to really drive home is that this is metabolic fitness. It's a, it was through focus, repetition, and effort over time, you can improve, just like you can improve in physical fitness by going to the gym, just like you can improve your, your mental fitness well-being with medita meditation. Um, and so we use those terms very deliberately, and that's how we, you know, we're getting a lot of uh, positive feedback around that from our users. You know? And in terms of what insights people are, are gathering, the first thing is just an immediate like sense of being a cyborg. You see, you, you like have this data readout now and it's like instantly fascinating, even if you have no idea what it means. Um, so that's where the levels app comes in. You know, we, we take that data stream, you know, it's really fascinating. People love to scan and love to check it out, but it's like, well, what does this mean? What's a milligram per deciliter that, you know, a lot of people don't even know there's sugar in their blood. You, you tell them that and they are not going to be, clear on what you're trying to express. And so, you know, it's, it's an educational process. The first part, you know, is all about explaining metabolism 101. These are the things that are happening inside of you, the hormones that are triggered by uh, the energy levels, the glucose levels in your blood. Uh, these, are the, these are the specific large levers that you can pull on to sort of change those numbers. Um, like Casey was saying, not just the, not the dietary components alone, but also your exercise level, your stress habits, uh, your sleep habits rather, your, your stress levels. Um, you know, so people are, are very quickly seeing having these light bulb moments where it's like, oh man, you know, I had this pre-workout and my, you know, my glucose went over 200, you know, and I felt this crazy sick feeling. And I, I, I called my mom and, and like, I told her I was feeling horrible. And she said, don't you have that thing on? You should, you should check, uh, you know, and so she, and, and so like, that's, that's a real situation where people have um, these sensations and they only ever had sensations before and now all of a sudden you know you have a data source and it's telling you hey this thing is not good like or or it's telling you that thing is good you know and you have but you have to be able to to have the data in order to understand that and so we we see a lot of light bulb moments like that where it's just uh holy cow this happened i can't wait to tell everybody about it it's like it's crazy and uh you know i'm either never going to do that again or i'm going to keep doing that and then uh, over time, you know, you, you remove, as people start to understand the large levers, I was saying, they start to zero in on more nuance. So it's like stringing these habits together equals uh, continual control. Um, when I, when I sleep poorly, I have a 30% higher baseline the next morning. You know, like these are, these are the types of realizations. And these are for people, keep in mind, who are non-diabetics. Like they have never thrown an A1C test. Their fasting glucose is objectively okay. 
um, it's it's seeing the dynamic data that is uh, where it's where all the richness is. That's where everything's happening. Um, and so, yeah, that's just a, a small example set um, of, of some of the insights. You know, already we, we have had people who have found legitimate metabolic dysfunction who had no idea and not just myself. Um, and so we, we are still in the beta phase. We are in development. We don't have that many customers who have gone through this program. And so just already seeing people who have, who need, you know, more, we'll say more hands-on therapeutics or, or some, you know, a, a more deliberate approach uh, this early is really, uh, it goes to the mission of the company, which is um, focused behavior change for metabolic uh, improvement across society. You know, we want focus on the, on the individual, uh, multiply that by, by many, many individuals, and you will get a, a social benefit where uh, we're all healthier. So this brings me back to a question with Casey. So Casey, you and I both understand as lifestyle medicine physician, functional medicine physician, that not all providers or medical professionals are going to understand how to deal with this data because we're having physicians make diabetics worse by telling them to eat different things or not to eat. So what can an individual do who goes ahead and sees all this aggregate data and they're like, oh, I have some issues. How do you guys provide guidance to who to seek or what do you do when you have some retails like, hey, I don't know what to do now with this. Like, what is that follow-up and again, closing that loop for to make sure they get the care that they require? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot, I would say for the vast majority of people, the, the feedback loop is pretty closed within the use of the product and the app, just from personal intuition that they're building by, by seeing this data, you know, every single day. Mm -hmm. um, and the insights that we can just generate highlighting like, this particular meal combination took you out of range. This particular meal combination plus good sleep kept you in range. Um, it's it, that's a lot of that is just taken care of. I think just by people using it and seeing what's happening to them, um, and uh, and then just for the people like Josh was mentioning who who have a bit more of sort of clinical clinical uh, meet the clinical thresholds for metabolic dysfunction. You know what's nice is that we partnered with a. Um, telemedicine uh, physician network who are evaluating, this is a prescription only device. And so this telemedicine uh, physician network that we have partnered with um, is uh, evaluating every level's customer for a CGM prescription. And if it's safe for them to, ha to have one based on a variety of, of things, um, they, are, they are sent the, the devices. And so in the situations that we've had where people have shown um, that they're meeting sort of these thresholds for clinical metabolic dysfunction, we can actually loop them back in with the telemedicine physicians and, and um, get them kind of set up to make sure there's follow-up relating mm. to that. Um, you know, and I think, um, yeah, I, I would say, I think you're totally right about like, though, that even amongst physicians, though, a lot are not really aware about the impact of non-diabetic hyperglycemia and non-diabetic, the impact of glucose, even in a non-diabetic. I think there's the, the, still the conventional wisdom is, it's pretty pervasive that we don't really need to worry about blood sugar until you meet certain thresholds, like the pre-diabetic threshold or the diabetic threshold. And um, the way that's conventionally measured um, in medicine, as, as you know, but just for the, for the listeners, is 
usually based on either a fasting glucose. So if a fasting glucose is below 100, we consider you normal. Um, if it's between 100 and 125, you're pre-diabetic. And if it's 126 or above, you're diabetic. Or an oral glucose tolerance test, which is where people will drink 50 or 75 grams of a glucose drink and then have their glucose measured at zero and 60 and 120 minute time points. And if they meet certain thresholds, um, they're considered their pre-diabetic, diabetic, or normal. But like Josh was saying, like these single time points are, are, are challenging because um, it's a very dynamic process. And so um, there are a lot of other metrics that have been studied in the literature, um, aside from fasting glucose and oral glucose tolerance tests that are very relevant to health. So for instance, there's metrics like glycemic variability, which is not a term that I think most doctors are even familiar with, but that refer, it's a metric that refers to how um, glucose swings up and down throughout the day. So do you have sort of a low and flat curve or do you have a very wild up and down roller coaster curve? And that particular metric is, is very, very important for health outcomes. And in many, many studies in the research has been associated independently of fasting glucose and um, A1C and, and oral glucose tolerance test results um, of predisposition for heart disease, future onset of diabetes, stroke risk, et cetera. And so these are trends that you can actually see in a non-diabetic. Lots and lots of spikes is still going to generate some of the same physiology that's dangerous um, to health. And so um, the, it's, it's thought that big swings in glucose can activate processes that lead to oxidative stress, um, that lead to inflammation, that lead to excessive glycation. So glucose getting stuck onto proteins in the body. So there's lots of physiologic things that can happen with glucose swings, regardless of whether or not you actually meet the threshold um, for diabetes so, um, or prediabetes. So, um, you know, there's, there's a number of different um, conditions that have also been studied to show and have been shown to sort of have a higher risk profile in people who are non-diabetic with increased um, glycemic variability. And I think a lot of people are aware of the major diseases associated with glucose. So that would be like diabetes, obesity, heart disease, risk for um, heart attacks, uh, stroke, dementia, all of those are pretty well established that if you have metabolic dysfunction, you are at much higher risk for those diseases. But I think what a lot of people don't really realize is that there's a lot of subtler symptoms that are very associated with glucose, even in the non-diabetic range. Um, some of these are things like anxiety and depression and like just fact recall. Um, people have higher post-meal glucose have more trouble remembering things in the ac acutely. Like it's, it's pretty fascinating. Things like um, propensity to get acne, to get wrinkles, which has to do with glycation of collagen proteins in the skin. Um, things like low testosterone, erectile dysfunction, um, even polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is the leading cause of infertility in the country. This is a condition that is associated with insulin resistance um, and metabolic dysfunction. And so for, for all of these conditions um, and other things like even like fatigue, energy, um, exercise endurance, where your glucose is, even if you're non-diabetic, could potentially have an impact on just sort of these sort of look like symptoms that, that a lot of people don't associate with, um, with glycemia. And so we're getting some inbound interest from people who have some of these conditions and have read articles like people who have polycystic ovarian syndrome and read some article about insulin and glucose and they talk to their primary care doctor about it and the doctor has no idea. They just, they're like, oh, they would never think about suggesting a CGM to help that person tighten up their glucose control. So then they kind of are Googling around and they find levels and, and 
say, oh my gosh, I, I need this. And so we're, we're finding there's kind of sometimes uh, not necessarily a full understanding, um, I think, in the mainstream medical community of, of why glucose matters even for a non-diabetic. But individuals are figuring it out and kind of coming to us. I don't know if you, is, is that fair to say, Josh? Do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think what, um, you know, what, what levels can do is help supplement. You know, I, I, I personally am of the opinion that there is, um, you know, the, the medical community is exceptional at treating disease. And so tasking the medical community also with preventing disease is, is a tall order. And so, um, you know, when you have this like massive array of metabolic dysfunction that uh, with all different, you know, manifesting symptoms, and some of them are very subtle, uh, like what I was complaining about, maybe I had midday fatigue, you know, but I, I certainly didn't have any sort of uh, crazy overt symptom. And so to, to try and uh, to not be able to personally take, take charge with, with some sort of data stream or some sort of optimization uh, criteria was, you know, meant the only alternative was, was the medical uh, alternative. And so what, what I'm hopeful for is that using performance criteria, you know, just focusing on what people care about in their daily lives um, and optimizing around that is our way of getting uh, ahead of the, the dysfunction. So if, you know, whether if you're dealing with, like, like Casey was saying, that whole host of issues, if you're dealing with um, exercise performance issues, fatigue, so, so performance at work, um, you know, sexual performance, like there's a whole host of things that you could be dealing with that you're struggling with that don't quite meet a medical threshold, but you can work towards optimization, uh, you know, by, by balancing your, your metabolic information, the data that sort of underlies the metabolic processes that are coursing through you. And you may never get to the point where you then have to work on a therapeutic solution because uh, just that like sort of qualitative experience that you focused on ended up being uh, so so closely uh, connected to long-term metabolic breakdown that you were able to to avert uh, and re redirect your course. So I think you know that's kind of a tangent to what you were originally asking, which is that whether doctors know what to do with this information. And, and I guess my my hope is that um, we we don't quite, although I, I I agree, like we don't quite know what non-diabetic you know optimal looks like because there just isn't that much information on it. I'm hoping that by you know using the data set that we're building, we will eventually be able to elicit that out uh, and and do so in a very low risk population, which is the, the group who's trying to enhance performance, not necessarily uh, medical outcomes. Hmm. That is really interesting. Well, just speaking to the host of symptoms that Casey is speaking about, I I mean, you give people more energy. It's like giving them money, right? Because you mm -hmm. literally give them the opportunity yeah. to do more in their life that they want to do. And if you can remove some other nagging symptoms, um, then maybe they don't think there's an answer to, because you know, go to your doctor, such vague symptoms. I mean, some of the worst, it's because I'm family medicine, some of the worst symptoms for someone to come in is like fatigue. And it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. that just a host of can of worms. So I have a, a few questions. So do you, do you elicit like a medical symptom questionnaire before and after the 28 day cycle or like, these are my symptoms because I know whenever I've done interventions with patients and we did a study in, a, in our small rural hospital I used to work, we did, that was a lot of really interesting information because people were like, you know, they were noting fatigue five times a, you know, a week. They were noting bloating and headaches, mild headaches and nothing like severe migraines that would go send someone to a doctor to take them, but maybe they're taking aspirin or ibuprofen. And then at the end of it, I mean, this huge dramatic 
decrease when we're working on the nutritional com component of that. Anything like that that you guys are, are working on? So as part of the, the consultation process, Casey was describing, um, since these are prescription devices, we do have a fairly comprehensive uh, medical form, so a, a you know, consultation form. And we are, are, although again, we're a general wellness organization and we're focused again on performance and, and sort of the, the general health and wellness as opposed to the medical side, we do ask people those qualitative questions. And um, you know, we still, uh, we're still building our data set. We're very early and we wanna to get to statistical relevance in terms of how many samples we have. Um, but certainly people are describing large scale improvements. You know, we, ha we have had examples of uh, significant weight loss just by tracking glucose levels, just by cutting off the peaks and dips from the, the, you know, the massive spikes and insulin crashes. Um, so we've had significant weight loss already, and this is like many people, <laughs> not, not just a few. And, uh, you know, and then lots of anecdotal stuff, but I, you know, I, I certainly am optimistic that with these, and, and to answer your question, yes, we have surveys throughout. So the beginning nice. midpoints, we have conversations. Um, we actually do uh, video calls with all of our, our participants at the beginning and in the, in the middle and at the end of the, the month. And so um, that in combination with the, uh, the asynchronous surveys that we do, we get a lot of data uh, from all of these people. And um, yeah, we, we haven't yet compiled a sort of an outcomes uh, document yet, but uh, it's, it's certainly on the agenda and we do plan to, to make, uh, you know, to, to distribute this information. And we wanna share that this is something that people should care about and it has real tangible value for, for the person who is not trying to treat you know, a, a disorder. Now, are you also tracking their dietary consumption daily so you can kind of, you know, weed out exactly what foods in a, as a congregate are causing issues, you know, anything like that? Yeah, so the, the Levels app itself is the hub for lifestyle tracking. So you track exercise, food, uh, you know, just general notes, like the way that you feel, because occasionally you'll, you'll feel this overwhelming urge to get another coffee or take a nap. Um, so so you, the, the users actually take pictures of all of their food, um, the Levels app places that in context of your CGM data, so on the plot, and it also groups and scores it. So Casey was describing all of those like submetrics of a glucose curve, and there are many. There's like, you know, incremental area under the curve, variability, average glucose, uh, peak, all this stuff happening. And so trying to educate someone on how to look at this visual plot of their glucose over time and pull information out of it is not the right approach. So what we do is we've developed these composite metrics that pull in a whole host of factors and then turn them into a single number. And that number will score your meal or it will score your, uh, you know, your zone. So uh, all those things that happen in close proximity to each other in time. And so therefore are likely affecting each other. This would be an example would be, you know, the macronutrient order. So you eat a salad and then you eat, you know, another meal or have dessert or something like that. That salad is actually going to affect the way that your blood sugar responds to, to that dessert. And so we, we do this zone grouping and uh, provide scores for that to help people understand this is how these different components interact with one another. And then you can do comparisons. You can sort of uh, mix and match and, and compare one zone to another. And, you know, this is just kind of a, we, we, we have a lot on the agenda for, for the product itself. These are mm -hmm. a few samples, but yes, the, the, the app is the hub and we track everything that goes into the body or at least everything that we can. And we also pull in information, you know, from other wearables so that we can yeah, get the, get the highest resolution image that we can of your metabolism and your metabolic condition. 
That's cool. That's really cool, especially with the time factor as well and timestamp of meals and because I think that chronicity is really important. Um, what about kids? So like if you have a parent who's concerned, is there an age limit for someone who can seek, you know, a CGM? Do you recommend, do you have an age limit recommendation or anything like that? So um, right now the, the devices are FDA approved only in, now there are a few out there, but the ones that we tend to use are, are approved for ages 18 and over. There's, there's not enough pediatric data, I think, quite yet. Um, there are certainly many populations that have not been studied with CGM quite yet. And I, I think that um, it's really fascinating given that type one is so prevalent in younger populations that there is, you know, there's only one device that I'm aware of that has been approved uh, for that pediatric group. And so um, unfortunately we, we would be 18 and, old, and older at this time, but as you know, there's a lot of movement on the hardware uh, front. There, there are many devices that are coming to market and the technology is improving at a, an amazing rate. So I'm optimistic that, that we'll have more options soon. That's really cool. And then, so for as far as the individual who's listening and they're like, wow, I really want to do this. Do they just go to your website? You know, the, it's levelshealth.com, right? I got that right. And, right. <laughs> and um, which has a ton of great blogs too, written by Casey. And what can they do? I mean, cause this, is this all 50 states that this telehealth company can help if you have to do that way? Can an individual physician prescribe it for a patient and I mean like how does that work yeah great question um, so right now we are still in development so primarily focused on building this analytics platform that layers onto the CGM so you know you have the hardware these devices are used for diabetes therapy uh, we are uh, layering on a new user experience and a new set of metrics and use cases and this is the general wellness performance optimization use case this has not really been done before so we have a lot of work to do to build something that is you know, consumerization of, of glucose basically um, so right now we are not uh, we haven't launched we have a full launch uh, that we're targeting later this year uh, we would encourage everyone to again go to levelsouth.com read the blog, sign up for the wait list. So if you just go to levelshealth.com forward slash sign up, or you'll see the big button on the main homepage, uh, you can just give us a, a little bit of info, like your email, and then we'll keep you in the loop about product details as they, as they come. And uh, we have a small number of beta participant slots each month. And we, we kind of very tightly manage this because it's, uh, as I described, we have basically video calls with the team multiple times. We're getting a lot of data from them, uh, lots of feedback. It's, 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 almost an example of uh, this person joins the team for a month and they're, they're giving us like real time criticism and feedback. And uh, this is where the direction of this feature should go. Um, so we do have a few sampler slots per month, but uh, that's sort of a, um, yeah, we, we kind of filter out who, who, what, who meets the demographics that we're specifically looking for, for this, this uh, feedback. And uh, so, yeah, if you sign up in the, in the wait list, if you're interested in the beta slot, we, we might be able to get you in there. Uh, if not, we will be expanding our options uh, very soon, and, and we have a lot of things coming up on the horizon. That's fantastic. And Casey, do you have any else to say to you as far as what your hopes are, visions, and things like that as their chief medical officer? Well, I think, you know, one, one hope I have is really sort of... Um, I think a take home for people from using this, which is just really this idea of biochemical individuality and also just empowerment that comes from that. So I think, um, 
you know, a lot of medicine, I think sometimes feels like one size fits all, you know, you go in with a particular symptom and there's kind of just like one particular treatment or a couple options of treatment. And it's, it, it can sometimes feel a little bit impersonal. And I think that something really positive subconsciously that happens from like using, from using this product is realizing how complex you are uh, in terms of your responses to all these different inputs and choices that you're making every single day, day in and day out. And then layering that with insights and that closed feedback loop, realizing how much agency we actually have over our own health and over you know, this line, this glucose line and the various mm -hmm. metrics, like it's really is in our control. And, and the intention, I mean, I think people want to be healthy. People want to lose weight. I mean, the wellness industry is booming. People are trying all these diets and yet the vast majority of diets fail, you know, over 80% of diets are completely ineffective. And that's just, it's very sad because people are making the effort, but it's not working. And so the hope would be that this would, um, you know, a, a, uh, allow for more accelerated progress and people meeting the goals that they are clearly expressing that they want to meet. Um, and, and so that's kind of one of my overarching goals. And I think as a functional medicine practitioner, I've always, and as someone with a background in personalized genomics, I've always looked at people as these like fascinating, complex ecosystems that are in constant conversation with the environment. And I think of food as molecular information. And I think of lifestyle inputs, even stress translates to molecular information information through our hormones and so um so thinking about that um it just i think it it subconsciously comes through by using this device and just realizing how much of an interaction between the environment and your body there is i think so currently right now you know if someone were to try and just go out there and say like, well, I, I don't know if I need this. Like, I'm just going to eat a low glycemic diet or something like that. You know, I'll, I'll use a low glycemic chart and figure out how to eat for my glucose. That can be partially effective, but a lot of research has come out recently showing that actually people have very variable responses to the same food. So two people like me and Josh could eat the exact same cookie right now and have a completely different and completely different glucose response. And he could eat a banana and a cookie and I could eat a banana and a cookie and our curves could actually look opposite. So I could spike on the cookie and be flat on the banana and he could be the opposite. And that is like flies in the face of the general concept of low glycemic eating and a glycemic index chart. And the reason for that is because it's not like food just, you know, goes into this black hole and boom, glucose raises. It's being processed by the microbiome. It's, it is interacting with your, you know, your colon cells, it is being absorbed into your bloodstream. There is a certain level of inflammation in your body at certain times. You have certain genetics, there's all this stuff. I mean, it's just so complex. And, and um, so it's a very complex interaction between food and the body to yield that glucose response. Even how fast you digest food, how, how fast your GI motility is, all of these things have an impact. And so, um, so being able to provide some more refinement and granularity um, into what it means to actually, um, yeah, sort of have low glycemic living um, is, is something I'm really, really excited about. Basically modernizing paradigms that we're still using and recommending, like the glycemic index chart, and modernizing them to actually incorporate the, the most recent research um, that shows that everyone reacts differently. So I just think that that whole concept of biochemical individuality is exciting to me. And we now have tools to really show that to people. And I think a result of that can be empowerment and a real renewed sense of personal agency um, and progress. So 
I, that's fabulous. Um, a couple of things there, because I interviewed, I know Dr. David Jenkins, who actually invented the glycemic index, and it's really interesting. I'd love for you guys to meet him, and maybe that might be somebody to just get a little interest feedback. So anyway, that, but also you're taking out the willpower, right? Because all these diets fail because people are constantly using willpower. You're going to run out of it after half an hour and then they, all these things. But what you're doing is you're just giving this not, you know, it's objective data. You're not going to, you know, it's not like you're standing on a scale once a week and going, oh, I failed again because that's emotional and all this stuff. I think this is really good because you're just giving They've taken the emotion out of it. You're getting real-time feedback and giving people that, like you said, empowering them to make better decisions. So I think that's fabulous. So thank you. Yeah. What yeah, else, Josh, do I, you I, have uh, to say? I love this. Well, I, I'm, I kind of gave a little backstory on me. And again, I, I was not a big diet person. I, I, I never needed a diet for, for weight loss. I know I'm lucky in that sense, but um, I, so I didn't really pay attention to it. And, um, you know, recently, you had uh, Judd Brewer on and he, he was, I was listening to that episode and he said, addiction is continuing to do something despite adverse consequences. And that really stuck with me because I w had a candy addiction, but I did not have the adverse consequence of gaining weight, nor was I diabetic at the time. And so the adverse consequences were unclear to me. I, I had, there was a filter between me and the adverse consequence, which is my blood, my blood sugar was probably through the roof and I just had no idea. And this is what led over time to the degradation of my glycemic control. Without the feedback loop, I didn't know that. So I didn't meet his criteria for addiction, unfortunately. I, I think I did in, in some sense because I was truly addicted <laughs> to the taste. But, uh, you know, once I got a CGM on, my family will, will tell, I, I have sugar is out of my life. I just, it, it just ended. It's not a, it wasn't a big, a big fanfare. It was just, I didn't need it anymore because I had better information. And, right. and so I wasn't willing to be the addict who is making that choice, despite now my, my awareness of the adverse consequences. We've seen this with multiple people. It's not just me. People have taken something that has been a staple in their diet. They have tried the program, seen what the glucose response is, tested multiple times in different environments. And if they continue to see this large glycemic spike or this sustained elevation, they just cut it out. And uh, that's something that you just don't see typically with, um, with other dietary approaches, which are with sort of advice-based or sort of average-based. This is a mm -hmm. specific individual data point about you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's, what's really cutting through for people. It's I would just add one thing to that is that, you know, it doesn't necessarily um, also mean that people have to cut something out. I would say for sugar and for candy, I fully promote cutting that out. <laughs> no one needs a single gram of refined sugar ever um, for, for life. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, a lot of what I think our algorithms and our, our, our app is trying to show is that it's, it's just because you have a big glucose spike with one particular individual input, because it is a multivariate complex system of what leads to a glucose spike, you actually may be able to modify the way that you're doing that in order to have a better outcome. So for instance, it's well established in the literature that eating earlier in the day, one food is going to cause a lower glycemic response in general than eating that late at night. That's a com there's complex physiology to it, but part of it has to do with the interaction between melatonin and insulin secretion in the pancreas. And melatonin is released at night and um, may cause a little bit of sort of transient insulin resistance. Um, and so, so you know, if, if you have a favorite food that gets you a little bit high on your glucose, try eating it for breakfast instead of at 10 p.m. at night. Um, or you know, incorporate high intensity interval training for you know and to, to sort of improve. Um, 
you know, uh, insulin sensitivity, uh, if you're going to keep eating certain foods in your diet. So there's ways to mix and match things to kind of just help get you under better control. I think food combinations is also one that is fascinating. I mean, this would be really impossible to figure out without data, which is that adding certain macronutrients to others can really blunt a glucose response. And so, you know, I, I think I talked about this a lot on the last time I was on your podcast, but like, I'm a bean fanatic. I'm a fiber fanatic. I talk about fiber all day. You know, I want people, all my patients to get 50 grams of fiber a day or more. And, you know, but some of these foods are higher carb. And if I eat beans completely alone, I don't have a huge glucose response because they have tons of fiber, but it, it definitely is a little bump. But when I pair that with tahini and nuts or a nut butter, or cook it with something like that in sort of more of a dish with a lot of extra vegetables, low glycemic greens, things like that, I have a totally different glucose response to it. It's blunted. And so, um, so there's all this research that has shown this in isolation. If you add fat or protein to a carbohydrate, you're going to have lots of like glycemic spike. If you eat earlier in the day, if you do intermittent fasting, if you exercise, all these things can affect that response. And so really about learning how to pair those things together in an intuitive way um, to just, yeah, to keep that glucose curve lower and flatter and, and ultimately, you know, improve your, your health and wellness now and hopefully, you know, prevent stuff down the road. So, um, yeah, so that intuition building and, and mixing and matching lifestyle stuff is, is, I think, really fun and exciting. And yeah, it's enjoyable for people to experiment with their body that way. Oh, I yeah, think it's a, it's a, I'm sorry. Go, no, go ahead, um, please. No, it's a, it's a major direction for the product, you know, bringing the, right now there, there's a quite a bit of um, sort of experimentation that's part of our program, but there are all of these themes, like what Casey's touching on with the macronutrient mixing or the meal timing. These are themes that are very robust and they're, they've been studied. We, we've already seen them in our data set. And so incorporating that into uh, actionable insights that our software can deliver is going to be the, you know, that, that's the big focus of, of what we're doing here. You know, it's not just about passively logging. It's, uh, it's also about pointing out, which, you know, it may not be clear to, to the initial user, but pointing out these connections and the modification to your, your glucose that, that corresponds with them are important. Focus here, try this uh, and, and compare, you know, and so find, helping people understand that, this, uh, you know, this whole having a sealed uh, a salad before dinner actually has real tactical benefit. Like you may be able to to blunt that that dessert spike. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot a lot on the horizon in terms of like turning those into software and making them replicable. Absolutely, that's fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for kind of enlightening us at the opportunity that we might have in the near future of you know becoming more intuitive with our eating and understanding what we're doing individually biochemically and and the dietary patterns that will be very helpful for us so i appreciate you both thank you so much Lori. it's so fun to chat with you and really such a pleasure to see you thank you thank yeah, you thanks so much it was great meeting and i really enjoyed the conversation hope to come back on when we're ready to launch oh i'll be waiting that's not fantastic <laughs> i can't wait to be able to refer people to you guys so thanks again awesome bye thank you very much